Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. How are you guys doing? Great. Wonderful. Couldn't hear anything you said, by the way. It was just like, blah, blah, blah. everybody just at one time. So I'm just going to assume everybody said that they're doing great and doing wonderful. If you just confess, how are you doing this morning? Well, I'm not doing so good. I couldn't hear you because everybody else. So, but I'm super glad that you're here. Uh, excited to continue our series as we walk through the writings of Luke and we discuss the topic of prayer. And I want to jump right in, just right into a very honest, very honest moment. Okay, so let's just, let's just jump in and do that. Have you ever felt that Jesus asked too much of you? Yeah, have you ever thought like the commands of Jesus are too high? Have you ever felt like the burden of obedience that Jesus calls you to is too heavy? It's too much. And if, and if you haven't, I can tell you're not reading the Bible. Okay, so you just kind of confess that right up front. Like if you get to the commands of Jesus about like sexual purity. I told you we're going straight just to this honest conversation. If you just, if you just look into those commands that Jesus delivers, Jesus talks about not lusting in our hearts. And that is an act of adultery of the heart. Wow. Right? Or, or don't be angry with your brother. Because then it's like you've committed murder in your heart. Well, now, Jesus, I'm angry at you for saying that, right? I mean, just think about your balance of anger. I don't know, I don't know how you do with, with anger and how you get frustrated, but maybe a Costco parking lot kind of takes that out. Well, clearly, you've had your blinker on. You're going into that spot. You're going to unload half an army of children, and then somebody just sneaks in in their Ford Fiesta, single guy, Bro, you're single. You park over there, right? This is for the people who are unloading half an army, right? And then you get angry, okay? What about this one? What about Jesus? when Jesus says, don't be anxious for anything? Wait a second, anything? Like nothing. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Focus on today, Jesus says. And that's hard. I mean, I worry about a lot of things. 
is all this rain and snow going to keep my coffee from coming to me because it's going to be delivered on the 15th and I've only got like two more days of coffee and so that's going to be the 14th. So a day without coffee, so I'm going to do, right? It's easy to worry about a lot of things. Do you ever feel like the commands of Jesus are just too much? His expectations are just too high. Like how do we deal with that? I know as I started first journeying as a Christian, just walking through the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, I would get so discouraged by the commands of Jesus. Because I would look at them and I would think, man, there's, there's no way. Jesus, the bar is too high. What do we do when we're discouraged? Like, what do we do when we feel like the expectations that Jesus has on us are just too weighty? Those expectations are just too high. We ask for help. That's what we do. We pray for help. I can't do this. Oftentimes we hear the phrase when we're thinking about God's help. And we hear that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Now, I do like that phrase in some sense because it does talk about our action and our effort and that's good. But it's not a very, it's not a fully biblical Phrase. A better phrase would be, God helps those who ask for help. Because the commands are high, the burden is heavy, and he's the one to lift it. He's the one to help. But oftentimes we don't pray for our obedience, right? We, we pray for our needs. Like we, we pray for uh, cancer, but do we pray for our character? Right? We, we pray for healing, but do we pray for our holiness? Just think of your prayers over the last year. Have you ever found yourself over the last year just saying, you know what, God, I need you to help me. Father, I need you to help me be a better husband or, or be a better father, be a better son, be a better brother or, or, or be a better wife, be a better mother, be a better sister, be a better daughter. How many of your prayers over the last year have been about you being a better person or you obeying his commands. How many times do you pray for your obedience? We should pray for healing, absolutely. We should pray when, when we have cancer or somebody around us has cancer, absolutely. But we should also be praying for our character and for our holiness. I came across this prayer when I was in college. I was studying uh, an ancient church father by the name of Augustine. And so the big idea for today is actually his prayer, or at least half of his prayer. And this prayer, I think, unlocked so much for me in my Christian life. And it's a very simple prayer. The prayer is this. It's the big idea. If you can write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Grant what you command. Grant what you command. I want to obey. I want my heart to be pure. I want to stop worrying. I want to be a better son. Father, grant what you command. Help me to obey. I want to show you in Luke's writing, especially in, in the book of Acts, when we see his account of the early church, where the early church prayed like this. They prayed, grant what you command. They prayed, God, you have an expectation. It's really hard to meet that expectation. you got to help us meet that expectation. you got to give us the power to obey. We're going to look at one of the commands of Jesus that is a very weighty command. You thought do not be anxious was a weighty command, and do not lust was a weighty command, and do not be angry was a weighty command. 
we're going to look at a command that is weightier and harder to meet than all three of those. And what we're going to see in the early church is the early church is going to have an opportunity or a moment, a situation where they're going to find themselves at a point where they have to obey that command. And what do they do? They pray the big idea. Grant what you command. We're in this situation. We're in this moment. We know what Jesus expects of us. How can we do it? And what do they do? They pray. Help us to obey that command. So go to Luke chapter 12. I want to show you the command. Luke chapter 12. And then we'll get to the prayer of Acts chapter 4. But Luke chapter 12. Look at the command that Jesus lays down to his earliest followers. Luke chapter 12 verse 4. Jesus says this. I tell you my friends. Do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. Don't fear those who kill the body. I'm sorry, Jesus, on my top five people to fear, murderers are pretty high up the list. People who want to take my life, that's high in the list. Like I fear a lot of things. Right, those things in Oregon that you guys have, I didn't know about this before I moved up here, and now I'm reconsidering it, but it's kind of already too late now. Like you have this beaver rat thing, nutria or demon spawn, whatever they're called. I think the Latin is demon spawn, right? I'm pretty sure that's it. Like that is the most terrible. Every time I see a photo of my wife knows I don't want to see them, and she'll be like, you should show it on my phone. Like, oh, now it's in my mind, scarred in there forever. Thank you for filling my nightmares with the demon spawn of Oregon. This like rat beaver thing that's on the that's on the top of my list like maybe number three like when I'm running in the morning and I go by a a body of water I every time I'm like dude if one of those comes out like I don't know what I'm gonna do I might just like give up like here it goes you know just go limp maybe just play possum maybe it won't eat me or build a dam or whatever the thing does I don't know what it does besides swallow your soul (laughs) but Think of Jesus' command. If you, were, if you were hearing this, you're a disciple and Jesus is walking through all these things and Jesus says, all right, guys, so let's talk about fear real quick. Here are the people I don't want you to fear. The ones who are going to kill your body. Yeah, don't be afraid of those guys. That's tough. And who is Jesus talking about? Go over to chapter 11, because I think we get this. Jesus is not just speaking like theoretically out in the air. Like, hey, if there's ever somebody out there who might want to get violent with you, don't be afraid. I don't don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think we have to take this in context of what was happening in Luke chapter 11, because I think Jesus identifies who are the people that are going to try to kill you. It's the people that Jesus just made mad in Luke chapter 11. So go to, go to Luke chapter 11. It should just probably be right there if you just turn your Bible over. But the verse is going to be on the screen. Look at verse 42. Jesus says this in Luke 11. But woe to you Pharisees, youth, you who tithe the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Man, who invited Jesus to this party, Right? Jesus is just really forthright with people. 
He looks at these religious leaders and he's like, man, you are tithing. You are giving on the smallest amount of things. So Jesus is saying, man, you are rigorous when it comes to your uh, religiosity. It, it would be like kind of a, a modern day example. Man, you're here every single Sunday. You give exactly 10% of your income to the mission of the church. You're in a Bible study. You're on a serve team. You massage the pastor's feet in between services. Nobody actually does that. Trust me, you don't want to see these things, okay? Right? But that, I mean, these are the, the dedicated people. And Jesus acknowledges that. Cool. You're on all the teams. You're doing all this stuff. And then Jesus gets to the heart of it. That's all a show, he says. That's just a charade. It's just a parade. Because really, your religion, you're neglecting love for God and justice. Those seem to be like the cornerstones of a good religion, right? Loving God and wanting justice to be experienced by those who God created. So Jesus says, man, you guys are missing the mark. And if that's not far enough, Jesus goes further. He wants to cite a specific example of their lack of love and their lack of justice. Look at verse 40, 48. He says, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. So Jesus is saying, you're just like your ancestors. And what did these guys do? For they killed them. He's talking them being the prophets. For they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill. Now, that word there. He's going to send prophets and apostles. Jesus' first century followers, his closest group of people, we call them the disciples. We also call them what? Apostles. Who is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is talking about who is God presently sending into the world to speak his message of truth. It would be Jesus' closest followers. The guys he talked to in chapter 12 and told them, don't fear. So Jesus in 11 has said, these guys who are supposedly pious and religious, they're killers inside. That right here is not a love for God. They're bloodthirsty men. They're men of rage and they want you. He says, this is what's going to happen. I will send them prophets and apostles and some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. So this is what Jesus set up. Jesus said, you guys are missing the mark. You religious leaders who teach the law, who tithe on the smallest of things, you do all of those rules and laws, but you lack love, you lack justice. And it's not just what you lack, it's what's present in you. So you're empty inside, but you're filled with rage and your religious fanaticism has led you to be murderous. And in fact, when I send a prophets, it won't be the world that kills them. It'll be you. It'll be you who bow a knee in temple, who pray, who memorize the scriptures. You're going to kill the prophets. You're going to kill my apostles. You're going to kill my messengers. And the disciples are hearing all of this. Probably think to themselves, Jesus, you're not going to make it easy on us here. So then when Jesus is talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, and he tells them, don't fear the one who will kill the body. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the guys that he just rebuked. So this is the command that Jesus has before his first century followers. Don't 
fear the religious leaders who are going to kill you, who are going to try to kill you. Fast forward, Jesus dies, he rises again, hangs out with the disciples for a period of time. He leaves, he ascends. Ten days later, the spirit falls. We call that day Pentecost. The spirit goes out. The disciples are emboldened. They're given courage. They're given power. They start to preach. They perform miracles just like Jesus performed miracles. Peter and John heal a man who was lame. And then these authorities come back into play. The chief priests and the elders, those are the religious leaders who just crucified Jesus. Now we could say that the Romans are the ones who crucified him. That's true. Physically, they were the direct ones involved. But really, it was the pressure of the religious leaders that forced Rome's hand. So they were the ones behind it. Rome was more like an instrument in the hand of the religious leaders. They crucified Jesus Christ. Then the first century followers are starting to preach about Jesus Christ. Then those authorities come back into play. Now think about where the disciples are. Because Peter and John, if they've healed this man, they've preached the gospel, those authorities have come into play and said, stop it. Stop preaching about Jesus. Stop it. No more. I don't like it. Now, if you're Peter and you're John, you were there for Luke chapter 12. You were there for Luke chapter 11. So you could think back in your mind, you know what Jesus expects of you in this moment. You know that these are the guys that killed your teacher. You know these were the guys that Jesus had a conversation with that said your religion is hollow and you're going to come after some of my messengers. As Peter and John know, we're going to be threatened. This might be that moment that Jesus was talking about. This might be that moment where we lose our life. This might be that moment that he said they're going to try to kill our bodies. And they know what does Jesus expect of them in that moment. Don't be afraid. Don't fear them. Put yourself in their shoes. What would be your response? I mean, Jesus saying it is one thing. Now, living it years later, in that moment, you recall, Jesus told us not to be afraid right here. How are we going to do that? Have you ever been threatened before? Have you ever had somebody just come at you before? I had this moment in college, not like this moment, but I had this moment in college where you may not know this about your pastor, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Nobody laughed at that. It makes me feel somewhat good or it just makes me think you fell asleep, which I'm going to go with the first one. But sometimes I don't make great choices. So in college, I, didn't ma- I, I was making a not so good choice. I'm not a great golfer, right? That's Aaron. Aaron's a good golfer. I'm not a good golfer. Not even close. Not even mini golf. Right? When, yeah, I'm terrible. And, but, but I had this one moment where my, my buddy and I, we have like these, and I don't even know. I think it was a seven iron. I don't even know the numbers. Okay? I had a 13 iron. I don't know. Is that a, is that a club? No. Okay. So it doesn't matter. I had something, a stick to whack the balls with. Right? We had all these balls. And so we're out there on like this large lawn area, and we're just like smacking them as hard as we can into the dark. Terrible idea. Right? I mean, but it's like yards. I mean, like hundreds of yards away from anybody out there. So we're just smacking these things. We're just having a ton of fun. And then we're like, okay, well, now we got to go find them. And it's really, really dark. It's like 10, 10.30. And so we go out there and we're in the lawn. I'm like, what are we doing? Why did we do this? And I find one. 
And I'm like, oh, there it is. Now, I started way over here, and there was this really small sliver of concrete. How do you already know where this is going? Really small sliver of concrete. So I'm way over here, and I see the golf ball. And I'm like, oh, look, Curtis, here it is. And with one hand, I had this, like, happy Gilmore moment. I was like, look, there it is. And I just, like, just like this, like, whoop, bam. And I hit the sweet spot. And that ball sails, like, whoosh. And I was like, wow. And then there's that moment of, like, that was a bad choice. That ball flies. And it hits this, I mean, the sliver of concrete must have been like this big. It hits, bink, and I hear it. And then it flies over this long driveway, over a fence, and hits a sliding glass window in an apartment. And I'm like, So I go over there because I'm, you know, I'm the nice guy. And I go over there and I say, excuse me, uh, I think I may have hit a golf ball. (laughs) Is everybody okay? I don't hear anything. Okay, we're good. So I go, uh, I go to a different part. We, we like drop off the golf or ball, balls or something like that. And, and my buddy's walking me back. So we're walking back. It's been like 30 minutes. And I have a golf club still on my shoulder like this. And then this man leaps over this fence. It breaks as he's coming into the, yeah, into the apartment that I hit the golf ball in. And this guy's running full speed at me. Whoa, hey, hey. And he's using some words that aren't church words. And he's just using them, and I'm like, what is going on? Hey, hey, are you hitting golf balls? And I'm just, you know, I'm an honest person. Yes, that was me. And he's running full speed at me, saying he's going to kick a certain part of my body, right? Okay, you get where I'm going here. And he's just threatening me, yelling, screaming, and I have a golf club, and I'm thinking to myself, what is this guy doing? The moment he gets close, oh, that golf club whack, like that's what I'm going to do. So he finally stops and he's just yelling and screaming at me and all this stuff. And I I had that moment of like, this guy really wants to destroy me, right? I mean, he's really, really mad at that moment. I felt that sense of pressure, that threat, like this guy wants to beat me up. I don't think he wants to kill me, but he is really, really upset at me because I broke the window of his mom's apartment and I scared her. I felt really, really bad. Now I'm not going to tell you, the story ends in a very positive light. But I, get, I, I wanted to kind of get you in that moment of what does it feel like to feel threatened. This is where the disciples are. They're being told by men who have already killed their teacher, stop it. Right? And in that moment, if you told me, Paul, don't be afraid, I would feel like you're not being aware of the nature of the situation. Don't be afraid. This guy is fuming mad. And he's went halfway through the quad just to come after me, yelling and screaming at me and threatening me at like 11.30 at night. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm fearful. Yeah, I'm scared. How can I ever muster up enough strength to not be afraid? How can the disciples do that? How can you do that? The disciples decide, let's pray. Go to Acts chapter 4. Look at how the disciples respond. They know what Jesus expects of them. They know the situation they're in. And look at how they pray. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. 
who through the mouth of your holy or through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Spirit, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What's their, what do they start with? The moment this threat comes in, they pray. You're the sovereign king of the universe. You are the creator. And then they quote Psalms 2. This is a song that they've been singing as a people for over a thousand years. They've been singing this song. And they, they quote that psalm, which is a song, and they bring it into their prayer. And that psalm is about the nations plot against you, God, in vain. How foolish and how futile it is to go against the creator king. What, what army could you possibly muster against the one who made every muscle in your body? So they're reminding themselves, my creator king, he not only started the story, but he continues the story. He's the one that puts it all together. Yes, we're being threatened, but that threat is meaningless in the hands of God. And so the remembering as a people of God, remember the song that we've sung for a thousand years? Do you remember the song that was probably sung or at least read at the coronation of kings or in moments where kings were threatened in the land of Israel? To remind the kings, don't be afraid. Your God is the creator king. And no one can come against him and win. It's all vain. It's all futile. The enemies of God are minuscule compared to him. They can do nothing to overthrow him. You see their prayer? Then they take this prayer And they bring it into like a historical fulfillment. We saw the creator king. We saw him defeat enemies. Look at the example they use. Go back to verse, or in verse 27. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servants, or your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Then then they're just going to give this like list of people who are the culprits in the crucifixion. They're like dropping names like a rapper in a diss track. Like they're just putting everybody on blasts, right? Both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow. What are they saying? That song we sung for a thousand years about how vain it is to go against the creator king. We saw that play out in the crucifixion of our teacher. In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Yeah, they thought they won. They thought his death was their victory. But turns out his death was his victory. Because his death was his sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin. And then he rose again from the grave proving who he was. Showing that he had defeated the penalty of death. For sinners like us. That was his victory moment. So the disciples are reminding themselves, okay, we're told not to fear in this moment. This is the moment we've been expecting. This is the moment we've been warned about in Luke chapter 12, to not fear the ones who kill our body. Remember, didn't they kill the body of our our Savior Jesus? We we watched him bleed. We watched him breathe his last, last breath. But then we saw breath enter back into him. We saw those wounds healed. We saw him walk. He talked with us. He ate with us. And he promised to resurrect us like he had just been resurrected. 
Well, now it's a little bit easier to say, okay, I will not fear. Now look at their request. Look what they ask for. Here's where we get the prayer. Grant what you command. You have a high expectation for boldness to not be afraid. Look at what they pray. Grounded with the Psalm 2, grounded with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they then pray this prayer. Here's their request. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Make us fearless. You commanded it, grant it. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Go, go back to verse 29. And now, look upon their threats. That always bothers me. Like, if I'm asking for something, you know what I'm asking for? Take the threats away. But they're very soft here. Now, I think this is a request, but it's a very soft request. Look upon their threats. Hezekiah in the prophet Isaiah, he kind of makes a similar prayer. Look upon their threats and know them. I don't think what, what Peter and John or, or the, the first century churches is praying right here is like, God, will you just kind of turn on the television? Okay, we're on CBS, okay? And uh, so can you just watch us but not participate in what we're doing? I don't think that's, no, that's, that's the wrong way to read this. They're not asking God just to be mindful, to see it, just to observe. I think they are asking for his intervention. But why are they kind of giving a soft request here? Here's why. Because they know how God handled the threats against Jesus. How did God handle the threats against Jesus? He let them be fulfilled in the crucifixion. So the disciples know firsthand God's agenda is not escape for us. It's endurance. God's agenda for us is not to free us from every threat. He didn't do that with Jesus. And they just prayed that. They're still in their prayer. Their heads are still bowed, their eyes closed, hands folded. They're still praying. Creator King, we know how you handled the crucifixion of your son, Jesus Christ. How you let those threats culminate in his crucifixion and his death. Now we pray that we are now in that situation. The ones who crucified our teacher, our savior, our God. They're now coming after us. Be mindful of their threats. Know them. Maybe he'll deliver, right? We know in Acts chapter 12, the church prayed and Peter was delivered. So it's very much a rhythm in the book of Acts and in the New Testament to pray for persecution to cease, to pray for threats to go away. But it's not always granted. But look what they clearly ask for. What do they ask for? Grant your servants what? Boldness. Boldness. Why do they pray that? Because that's Jesus' expectation over them. I told you this moment was going to come. I told you that those would be the guys. Jesus may have been talking in Luke chapter 11 to the very same people that are here in Acts chapter 4. Not just the religious group in general. Not just the Jewish religious elite in general, but they may be faces that they are facing that Jesus talked about, that Jesus talked to. 
The very same men that he was rebuking for a hollow religion, who he predicted would kill the prophets, are now at that moment. And they pray, Jesus, you told us not to be afraid. So Jesus, don't make us afraid. Make us fearless. Make us bold. And look at how God answers the prayer. He answers it with a resounding yes. But before we get to the yes, something interesting, go to verse 30. I think it's interesting that they pray for miraculous power. Look what he says. Or they don't necessarily pray for it. They just pray that God would accompany their preaching. Look what he says in verse, well, let's read verse 29. And now look upon their threats and grant your servants boldness. Or grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So they're asking God, in a sense, you continue to do what you've already seen you do. We just healed a man who was lame in the name of Jesus. So you're doing that work. Now, if you can remember back, maybe last year when we were journeying through the Bible, think about God and his protection of his people in the Old Testament. There's a really big one. and you, you don't even have to be that familiar with the Bible to know the story of the Jews in the land of Egypt. How did God protect his people when they were oppressed by the Egyptians? How did he free them? How did he liberate them? Did he come with military strategy? All right, so Moses, Aaron, here's what you're going to do. You're going to outflank the enemy. Did he do that? How did he do it? Miracles. Miraculous displays of power in the plagues of Egypt. So if I'm in the first century, I'll tell you what, what Paul Robert Crandall is praying for in the first century world. Hey, um... Uh, God, you remember when you like sent all the frogs and the locusts? Remember when you struck down the firstborn? Remember when you took the seas and you parted them and you smashed them together upon Egypt's army? If I'm praying for a miracle at this moment when I'm threatened, I'm praying for defensive miracles. That's what I'm praying for. Strike them down, Lord. Call down fire. Is that the type of miraculous power they pray for? No. We want to preach your word with boldness. And as we're preaching your word, will you stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders? They're praying that the miraculous power would validate the message. They're praying that we're going to preach. God, will you show up as we preach, as we teach, and as we share, will you show up and affirm that message by performing miracles people being healed, demons being cast out. Will you show up? They're more worried about God's power on behalf of the message, not the messenger. They're praying, give the message power, not protect the messenger. That's what I would pray. I would pray, protect the messenger. But that's not how they pray. They pray, validate the message. Let your miraculous power show up. What a different paradigm. What a different paradigm from the Old Testament. What a different paradigm than, than my perspective. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Look at verse 31. 
31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. Probably an earthquake, which in the Old Testament, God, when he would show up and he would bring his presence and manifest it in a special way, sometimes it would be accompanied by an earthquake. The ground would shake. So the idea here being communicated to us is God is showing, I'm coming. I've heard your request. I'm coming. I'm here with you to grant your requests. And what does he grant? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecost has already happened. They've already been filled. This is kind of a a subsequent kind of power up, if you will. They've been powered up, they're filled with the Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with, what's the word? Boldness. God expected boldness, and what did he do? He granted boldness. This unlocks a principle for you that I think is one of the most freeing when it comes to your struggle with the commands of Jesus Christ. God wants you to pray for your obedience. God wants you to feel the weight of the commands that he has given you. And he wants you to feel that that weight is too heavy for you. So when you're discouraged by the commands of God, and you're just like, man, I just, I can't meet that standard. That's exactly where God wants you to be. Because he wants you to pray. He wants you to pray like the first century followers prayed. Grant what you command. I can't do this. Help me. What are the commands of God that you struggle with? We we unpacked a, a, a very weighty command to not fear those who could murder you. But what commands of God are you struggling with? What expectations of Jesus Christ are you struggling with? Right, maybe it's sexual purity. Maybe you have a a, a pornography addiction that you cannot seem to get rid of. And you're in this constant just shame cycle. I'm never going to be freed from an impure mind. I'm always just going to be in this cycle of defeat and regret and shame. And I'll come up for air, if you will, spiritually, but I'm just going to bob right back down. And I can never get above water. I can never get out of this sea of despair. Call out. Grant what you command. Father, help me to only think on what is pure. Father, help me to to kill this sexual appetite that is not honoring to you. Help me to see the beauty that you have made sex to be. Show me to, uh, uh, to see the, the, the beauty of, of monogamy, the beauty of having eyes for one woman for oh, my whole life. God, grant what you command. Or maybe it's, maybe it's forgiveness. Or maybe you can't forgive, you can't release an offense You've been holding on to, to, to an offense for years, maybe decades, and you can't release it, and it just keeps coming up. Maybe, maybe you found yourself in a situation where somebody did some just terrible, awful things to you. And maybe you got to drive by that house where those things happen as on your way to work, and every time you do, you're just triggered. And your body like experiences that moment all over again. How can God release you from bitterness? 
How can God free your heart from that? You got to ask for help. You can't do it on your own. God, help me. Father, help me see that you are the creator king and that you will execute justice. You will right every wrong, every idle word called into account. Father, help me to trust your timing. Help me to trust in your justice. Help me to trust that you won't let offenses go unpunished. And Father, help me to dispense mercy like I've received mercy. Help me to shower others who have offended me with mercy and compassion like you've showered upon me when I have offended you. Right? Maybe it's that don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything. Through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guide your hearts. Release that. Maybe it's like it's your job right now. It's just a mess. Your pay got cut. Your department got changed. Now you have a new boss that you can't stand. And you're grinding and you're moving through, but you're just like, I'm just exhausted. And I don't know what's going to happen to my department. I don't know if this boss is going to like me. I used to be the top performer. Now, according to this guy, now I'm the bottom of the rung. That's what it feels like. How do I not worry? How can I just put my head down and continue to go? How do I not just wake up in the middle of the night just in sweats thinking, what's going to happen to me? You got to ask God. Father, grant what you command. Help me to not worry. Help me to ease my heart. You know, something that struck me this week, and I'm going to show you this because it is personal. This right here is uh, something I just started because as we're going through the 10-week journey, and you've heard us talk about it, one of the things that really convicted me was writing out my prayers. So I decided this year to do something a little different with my devotional life because I was realizing that I was reading a lot of the Bible, but I wasn't reflecting a lot on the Bible. And that's not true spiritual growth to just read the Bible. You got to reflect on it. So because of this kind of some of the skills and rhythms I learned in, the, in this 10-week journey, I realized, man, if I write my prayers out, they're a lot more meaningful and I give them a lot more thought. So I decided what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray through the New Testament. I'm going to take one chapter and out of that chapter, I'm going to find one verse. I'm going to write that verse down. And then I'm going to write out a prayer. And as I was walking through Galatians, just a wonderful verse that just stuck out to me. And one that truly convicted me. This is Galatians 3.3. It's not on the screen. Paul says this, you are so foolish. Yeah, I am. Have it begun by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I just stopped there and I wrote a prayer. Why, why do I think that I can perfect myself, I can mature myself through the flesh, through my efforts? I need the spirit. This week, I want to challenge you. Pray that simple prayer. Grant what you command. Find that spot. Find that area where you're struggling and you're, you're being broken by the expectations that God has over you. And you can't fulfill it. And realize that moment is okay to be in if you ask for help. Grant what you command. Watch your spiritual life just lift up this week if you put that prayer into practice. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I thank you that you've lifted the burden. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are in us. 
oh man, what a cool thing to think about. Just I think even reflecting with a brother just, just two days ago. Thinking about the God who showed up in the Old Testament. The God who showed up and shook a mountain. Who spoke in thunder and lightning. The God who showed up in the temple and filled it so much that nobody could even get in. That's the God who fills me. Holy Spirit, you are inside of us. Would you unleash your power in us? And what we need, we need you to put the death, the deeds of our flesh. Father, whether it's sexual purity, forgiveness, anxiety, anger, all of the commands that we see in the scriptures, we know are so burdensome. How could we ever lift them? How could we ever muster enough strength to do anything? But Holy Spirit, you are in us. You're just waiting for the invitation. I need help. I need help. So Father, I confess. I need help. Holy Spirit, I need help. Holy Spirit, help me to be pure in my thoughts. Help me to be fearless when a season is one of threats. Help me to not be anxious or worried, but to trust in you. Help me. Grant what you command. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.